Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 550. The PGA Tour is living it up. Chillians, and welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Eddie. Eddie, long time no see or no no talk. <laughs> yeah, it's it's back to back episodes where we've said it's been a little bit of a break since we last recorded. It's summer, man. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a hectic period, so that doesn't it makes a little, you know the recording schedule gets a, becomes a little bit disjointed. But yeah, at least there's not so much normally going on, except. You know, I, uh, the the golf world wants to drop some bombshells on us, and and uh, MLS ar- wants to drop some bombshells on us. <laughs> I, I'd argue, in terms of major news, this week is up there. And then when you do throw in the Champions League final on Saturday, the FA Cup final that's just happened, uh, the you know other European finals that have taken place in the last few days, plus. NBA Finals and the Stanley Cup ongoing, you could make a strong case that this this seven day period could go toe to toe with any other week of the year in terms yeah. of most relevant sports news. Relevant, but not excitement level. I mean, there is nothing like I am not hopping on this podcast ready to just discuss how exciting this PGA Live merger is. Oh, not well, that it's not important. Let me get you let me get you let me get you in the right mood quickly here. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. That really put it in the mood. I will say though, I mean, it's unfamiliar. That wasn't like a crappy version of the Game of Thrones theme, although it kind of was. It's it's the live it's the live golf yeah. theme yes. song. Yes, I, I they actually play it at the tournament. Um, you know, many people, and I think probably rightfully so, are saying this could be one of the most important things to happen to North American sports in quite a long time because of the precedent it's setting and the future of other sports that could now be shifted because of what's happened here. I mean, I don't, there's no reason to limit this to North American sports. I suppose in a sense, yes, because you haven't had the Middle Eastern investment tip in sports up until this point. Cause you already see, I think you're already seeing it in European football to an extent. To a de- to an extent. They're not buying leagues, though. No, they're right? not buying and leagues. So this is on a scale, an unprecedented... I mean, they've bought the sport of golf. Yeah. So the, that's... Saudi Arabia know, owns golf now. This I know is, you've this, done a deep dive, yeah. and I wouldn't expect anything less. So why don't you kind of lay out what's happened for everyone who's kind of just been on the fringe of this? No pun yeah, intended. But, but to, to kind of, just before I do that, to expand on your point, too, I think you have to have... Not only do you have this... Uh, investment in the PGA and world golf, essentially. But you also have Benzema leaving Real Madrid, right, to go and play in Saudi Arabia <laughs> for a contract yes. that's paying him $215 million a year. Yes. And, so, and and Messi turning down a contract that would have given right. him, I think it was, what, 
four billion or something like that. Yeah, I think it was supposed to be four or five hundred million a year, somewhere in that in that yeah. region. But which you we'll just... talk about later because I, I think at a point, I think I can go both ways. I could say at a point you've got to sell out, and I could also say at a point, does it really matter? Like when you're getting we'll, up we'll to those go, numbers. We'll, okay, we we'll, deal, back, yeah, we'll, we'll deal with we'll deal with Messi when we get there. But just in the sense, they're just breaking the economics of sport, right? And the economics of sport were already broken in the sense that plenty of sports just consistently lose money and the finances make no sense. But Saudi Arabia is just kind of coming in here and just saying, oh, just forget about everything. But okay. Take the so, drive route, Eddie. Put us in the fairway. So live the live golf. Well, so already... You know, the initial news was this is a Live Golf PGA Tour merger. It's not a merger. And Live Golf actually fundamentally has nothing to do with what has happened. This is the public investment fund, the investment fund of Saudi Arabia investing in the PGA Tour and then then forming a partnership as a result to unify global golf with the DP World Tour, with Live Golf, with the Asian Tour. So it's just kind of putting everything underneath the same umbrella, but it's not a merger. It does essentially still keep the PGA as the, well, the PGA tour as the, you know, premier sport golfing tour in the world, but they have just completely sold out and taken the money from the, the, the public investment fund. And so, so let, wait, let me stop you there first. Yeah. So I, so I can get some clarifications. So what this then means is that it's not as if the live tour is folding and then that the players are being folded back into the PGA tour that may happen that the players might come back to the PGA tour. But my understanding is that the live tour lives on. Maybe Maybe. the live tour, the live, the people who work for the live tour, notably Greg Norman want the live tour to live on because he's out of a job. Like there's no way the PGA tour is bringing him back into the fold. Like he is the sacrificial lamb in this. As far as the, as the public investment fund is concerned, they are just happy. They don't care. They don't care that they, they don't care how much money they lost. Like in a sense, the live golf tour was their Trojan horse to sneak into the, you know, the realms of global golf. Not to sneak in to well, barge in and just take over. <laughs> right. And, and also not in the end, not we had into the, tr- the Trojan horse analogy falls apart even further because it's not as if it's been accepted as a gift. They've sort of opened up the Trojan horse, let the invading hordes out and then sold the city to them. So, but didn't tell anyone within the city that this was going yeah. on. <laughs> and so I, on the first point, back on the live golf, the future of live golf, I don't think live golf will continue to exist i just don't see the point those so you're saying i'm screwed for the three-year ticket package i bought (laughs) i think (laughs) i think so well you might be watching us play for the live golf and then i think the victory laps that some of the prominent live golf members were doing when this news first broke was slightly premature so the take that you can be optimistic if you're a live golf fan or if you're one of these players who's taken all the money, you can be optimistic. Say you're Phil Mickelson. Best case scenario, because the thing is so many, so much of this is unknown as it stands. But best case scenario right now is that they'll get full re-entry into the PGA Tour, that 
their live golf franchises will somehow be incorporated into the PGA tour because they've already said that there's going to be some team element. And so all of these super high profile players own a percentage of the franchises that they became a part of. So the idea would be here that not only have you taken this huge payment from live golf, now the franchise that you were given equity in is worth multiple times what it originally was because it's suddenly now way more relevant. Does this that's, mean we're going to see the range goats in the PGA Tour, Eddie? <laughs> <laughs> that's best case scenario. If you are... If you are Rory or Tiger. Uh, so I don't even know what they are. But like... Uh, I, they're, I think well, they're, they're golfers. Just, they're really yeah. good. That's who they are. I, I think... Uh, but if you're someone involved who uh, has a less optimistic view of the future of the live golf, you would say, so they're going to be fined all of the live golf players, they're going to be fined enormously to re-enter the PGA. And these fines because of, supposedly, because of all the gloating that they did on the day that this uh, investment was announced, these fines have been doubled. Now, I don't know how much this fine is. I don't think anyone does, aside from people who are you know privy to very uh, sensitive information. But uh, it's obviously significant. Now, this, now here's my still- question, though, is who's setting this fine? Because I would assume it would be the PGA Tour commissioners right. and, and higher-ups that are saying it's fine. But now, if they're owned by the investment fund that owned Liv, can't that investment fund turn around and say, actually, you know what? Don't fine our players because we own this now and we're going we're gonna to cancel so, that fine. So they don't really own it, right? So they've, they've invested in it. Uh Monaghan, who was the chairman of the PGA Tour, is now the CEO of this because it's the PGA Tour has now shifted from being uh, a nonprofit or I guess a not-for-profit. It was either one, nonprofit, I think, to um, it's now a can be a profitable organization. He's now the CEO of this new uh, entity, and the PGA Tour has retained the ability to appoint the majority of the board members. So fundamentally. For the time being, at least, the PGA Tour retains the majority of the power over this golf arrangement. So if they don't want the live golf players back, if they want to find them in order for them to return, they can do it. Because the thing that's going to be clear, and I think it's going to become really clear to Greg Norman, to all of these golfers who went to the live golf tour, is that the... The public investment fund and Yesir bin Othman al Romayan, the the head of it, don't care about them. Like this was a means to an end for them, and they've been successful in multiple ways. So I think they'll they'll obviously allow the likes of Brooks Kepka and stuff, they're coming back, but they'll be fined and they'll have to They'll, they'll definitely going to be informed and have it made clear to them that you didn't win anything here. So so let me ask, on your ranking, on, on the Eddie ranking list, what's higher? The hypocrisy of Jay Monahan, or the anger of, I think, in particular, Rory and Tiger, who spent this entire ordeal standing with PGA, turning down infinitely large sums of money, higher than Dustin Johnson and Kepka would have gotten or did get, depending on what you hear and, and how that works. That's a different story for another day. But would have gotten large, large sums of money, turned it down, 
and stood with PGA the entire way and now might get screwed out of, of that money and be kind of like how Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepler are inevitably just going to be back in the PGA Tour. What's higher on that ranking, their anger level or the hypocrisy? No, it's definitely the hypocrisy. Let's be real here. Those guys are going to get paid tons of money now. And are they? Are we oh, sure? Yes, 100%. The only way that this doesn't cause a total mutiny I mean, and there are all these reports coming out of the, the meetings that took place with the players where they pretty much universally called for a change in leadership, where people were super angry about what was going on. They are going to be told here, look, we have unlimited money now. So the purses at every tournament are now going to go up. The bonuses that we hand out to players are going to go up. You're going to get a profit share. You're going to get this and that. These players are all going to make significantly more money now than they were going to make. And so will it balance out with a billion dollars that Tiger Woods is supposedly turned down to not join the Live Golf Tour? Maybe not. For Rory McIlroy over the remaining course of his career, he might actually end up end up, up. Now, I don't think he cares necessarily about that because, you know, we're talking about when we're talking about the elite of the elite golfers, they're making so much money. And this kind of t- ties into what you said about Messi, where I don't think they're necessarily that motivated by the finances, but the hypocrisy is worse. The hypocrisy of saying they would never, uh, you know, merge or form a partnership with them. The multiple references to how can you do business with these people when they were the sort of financiers of 9-11, which was like a big talking point they routinely used. There was the crazy interview this week after this news broke with Jimmy Dunn, who was one of the people who was brokering this deal on behalf of the PGA Tour. Over the course of this interview he gave, he said that if any clear ties were proven between anyone involved in this from the public investment fund and the planning or financing of 9-11, that he would personally murder them. (laughs) Really? Yes. <laughs> that no one needs to worry about it. He would take care of it. I'm going to say, having seen, I'd never seen him before, having watched him on his webcam give this interview, I would not be afraid. I, th- I would happily shake hands with him and tell him I financed it all. I bought the plane tickets with, <laughs> and I don't think he would do anything. But, you know, and this is the issue, and they're going to have to. And kind of go through the process of accepting that there's some hypocrisy here. But there's also, there's a reality that they had to deal with, which according to reports, right, in response to the Live Golf Tour and trying to make increased purses, for example, on the PGA Tour, they boosted all of these purses. And then they had to turn around to sponsors and say, we need you to give us more money because we're going to pay the players more. And the sponsors pretty much universally said, we don't see any value in that. So they were they were facing a losing game against uh, you know an investment fund with infinite money, and the writing to a certain extent was on the wall that they sooner or later they were going to lose. There's then the other issue of the really protracted legal cases that they were getting themselves involved in, which caused two issues: one, the cost. And two, the fact that most people think they didn't really want their books to go public during the discovery process. 
So there are reasons for the PGA Tour where this is, even if it's, even if they're being hypocrites, it's pragmatic and the right decision to have made. Maybe. So let me stop you there again. So I can see that. But I think what a lot of people are also thinking is, you know, what what Monaghan, the commissioner, had said is, you know, there's been this divide in golf. We want to get rid of this divide and it's better for the sport to not have this divide. I've went to a live tournament. I've actually watched live tournaments on TV. This this was dead. I mean, it was a dying dying tour or event or whatever the hell you want to call it. It was not succeeding and it was not going to last. And you know, maybe I'm wrong in saying that because the investment fund, you know, like we said, they'll they've just basically used this as a way to work their way in and will take that loss monetary loss and not even think twice about it. So maybe they were willing to play the long game and just keep pumping money into a, a tour that people weren't going I'll, to. And I'll interrupt were you there. I'll interrupt you there, Frank. Not maybe they were willing. They were absolutely willing. But would, but would the players have stuck by? Because I think at a point when you're a player and you're watching these tournaments you're playing in, and then you're going to like the Masters or the PGA championship and you're seeing the difference there, maybe that was starting to weigh on some of the, like you can't tell me Brooks Kepka went back to the live tour after he, you know, was playing in these majors and said like, Oh yeah, this is still kind of fun. I think Brooks Kepka is absolutely the worst example because I think Brooks Kepka would like look back on the past 12, 18 months and think, God, that couldn't have gone better for me. He didn't give a shit about normal PGA tour events to begin with. So he basically got to treat every non-major as an absolute joke and had guaranteed income as a part of it. And then he got to turn up and win a major. He would have taken that. There's no world in which you write that script for him. Like he would have gone back the next week to the uh, live golf event and gone, wow, this is incredible. I'm getting <laughs> like he literally, you know, got his cake and got to eat it too. Like Kepka is the worst. I get what you're maybe. saying, but Kep- you're right. Kepka maybe. is I mean, the he example. He doesn't only care about like, majors. Like the other, or maybe players like Dustin you, Johnson. Also, probably a bad. I mean, here's the, ultimately the thing, right? Most of the players playing on the Live Golf Tour are, are either fairly insignificant golfers from a global perspective, or they're aging. Cam Smith is probably the one that stands out. From okay, you have the chance to be a kind of golfing superstar. You're not even in your prime yet, and then you're, I guess. Cam Smith is the is the one. He must feel less relevant as a golfer than he was right after winning the Open. He had that moment where everyone, you know, he was the talk of the town. Like, oh, here comes Cam Smith. This is going to be his moment. And then who really, like, he never comes up anymore, in part because he's played pretty poorly, but also just because you don't really see him. So you but, think most people were wrong then in assuming that Liv was going to die out soon? If Live Golf had died out, they would have created another golfing competition. And if that one had died out, they would have created another. And it's it, inf- I am it's- so glad you just said that because this is the exact scenario from The Office and the Michael Scott Paper Company when Dunder <laughs> Mifflin buys them out. And he goes, Michael, I know you're, uh, I know the cost you're selling at. You can't, you can't run this business for very long. He goes, that's the difference. If this one falls under, I'll just start another and then another and then another. I have an infinite amount of names. And he goes, Michael, that's one. (laughs) 
So it's literally what this is. This is this is except, Dunder Mifflin buying out the Michael Scott Paper Company. Except the Michael Scott Paper Company is not financed by terrorists. <laughs> Whoa, okay, well, hold on. Uh, the, According the to Jay Monahan, last month, exp- but not this the, month. <laughs> the views expressed by Frank Duca are in no way as representative of the views of the Big Chill Podcast. I'm just and, repeating and, what what the PGA commissioner told me a month and, ago. And if if anyone would like to seek to have those opinions quashed please contact him directly <laughs> but uh yeah it's 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 not a, pe- a terrible analogy but yes it's this is as if the 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 paper company has infinite money to it's not a case of i can go bankrupt and create another one it's a case of there's no such thing as bankruptcy in my world this is a rebrand and i can just rebrand forever like this is an arms race and you have no chance and so you know there's a you, you got to know your opponent is in a certain moment of time and decide okay they're committed and and then if so you can reverse it kind of went through the negatives for the pga tour but also the positives there in, in the sense of this gets them out of a, a losing situation from the public investment funds perspective, I think this is pretty much a total win because in the space of, you know, 18 months, two years, they've gone from being complete outsiders in the world of golf to now being having a table, a seat at the, you know, the main table and to having Yasir now be pretty much the most powerful, powerful person in golf. And Ultimately, I think it will only increase. Like for now, it's well, the PGA Tour has retained, they get, they've got the CEO and they retain the majority of the board positions. And then, you know, 18 months from now, we're going to get another announcement of the public investment fund has put more money into the PGA Tour. And as a result of it, they now have four additional board seats and have taken majority <laughs> control of the, you know, the PGA Tour or, or whatever name this is going to fall under. So it's, it all feels kind of inevitable. Also, from the public investment funds perspective, you know, this is sports watching. Like, there's no doubt about it. This is about laundering their reputation through global sport. And the Live Golf experiment probably was, neg- was negative for them in that respect because the only thing people talked about was, <laughs> like, how, how can you do business with these people? Even a year down the line, that was a constant topic of conversation. This ends it. This is... This will be a new story for a little bit of time. And then now they'll just get to spin it into, well, this is just like we're sponsors. You know, everyone takes money from Saudi Arabia in one way or or another. And now we're just sponsors of the PGA Tour. Now, do you think there's any way that realistically either the players or the fans can push back upon that? Like, is there in any any alternate universe where Rory and Tiger rally all the players on the PGA and say, let's boycott playing in these tournaments because of what's happened. So this has, because I think you're right. Like I, I don't like, I think you're right. I don't think now that this has happened, they are solidified and you can't do anything to push back on them. Yeah. It's just inevitable that they'll take more and more control, but so this hasn't been approved yet. This is the other thing. And this is all being spoken about as if it's a done deal and it technically hasn't been approved yet. So there is a possibility that it falls apart at the last minute 
seems highly unlikely. I think the only way that that could happen is, yeah, if there was a full mutiny of PGA Tour players and you did have a bunch of them saying, yeah, that's cool, but uh, I'm not going to play in these tour. I'm not a, I don't want to, I don't want my PGA Tour card anymore. I'll go and play elsewhere. We do think for the future of golf, we should create a rival competition now and we're not going to have it financed by, you know, sources of money that we feel questionable about. I just don't see that happening. Like the planning that would have to go into that is enormous. Like the risk. Yeah. And what about and, sponsors? I mean, could that be a, a, a reasonable or sponsor uh, start boycotting? No, because if you sponsor golf, right? Like you're still going to want. I heard the waste st- management wants nothing to do with this now. <laughs> if you, you're still going to want that day, you know, like it is, it's a good opportunity to entertain people. It gets your name out there a little bit and stuff. I, I can't see a scenario. And if, if company X doesn't want to sponsor it, then company Y will step in now. It's still, and if anything, you now the BJ tour has unlimited money backing it. And essentially the finances of the tour no are no longer as significant. If they wanted to have people sponsor things for less money now, they could do. I don't think they will. Like they're not going to openly say that, but say it's an issue. Say American Express pulls out of sponsoring and Waste Management pulls out of sponsoring and Genesis, you know, like all these companies that we have, then they'll just say, okay, let's let's tell some other company they can get it for 50% of what American Express was paying us and let's just not talk about it publicly. Like no one yeah. really needs to know. We just get a big name on board. Now it's the Microsoft Open. Perfect. Problem solved. So unless maybe you want to take some more shots at Jay Monahan for being a hypocrite, which I'll allow because it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, I want to kind of pick your brain on moving forward now, what this looks like for other major sports enterprises. And I think the next closest one would be something like tennis, where it is a very similar kind of the players aren't held to specific contracts and are playing tournament by tournament. So you kind of have that similarity. Is that going to be the next step you think? Tennis is a good target. And and for a while now, tennis has been going through the same experience as uh, golf with some kind of talk of rival tours popping up. I think ultimately tennis is not as suited because I think there would be real pushback from the tennis community. Like I think Wimbledon would just say, Nope, you can go and play for them, but you're never playing at Wimbledon. But and isn't that kind that of would, what the Masters tried to do? <laughs> they didn't really do it, though, did they? They didn't stick to it. They all yeah. kind of said, oh, yes, they ummed and odd about it. And then when push came to shove, they gave in and, yeah, okay. And then it's like, we won't give you future exemptions. But yes, if you're a reigning champion. And you don't have situa- you don't have exemptions like that in tennis, right? You don't. Is this, being, is this your anti-American a- view that the Americans will no. give in, but the the English won't? <laughs> no, but the no, no, because I can say it was all the the open. Yeah, was the same. The, the thing that complicates it in golf is you have these. Ex- oh, you won it once, you can go forever, and so now they have to go back on this agreement that they had. You don't have that in Wimbledon. You know, like Pete Sampras doesn't get to turn up to Wimbledon next month because damn it he should (laughs) because he won it in (laughs) you know in the 90s so they it's a little simpler of them to say we're gonna have our own we're gonna we're gonna write our own rules for what means that you qualify or we'll just switch to a full wild card invitation system you know we'll do whatever we want we won't be part of the atp or whatever else now and we'll handle it and i think 
I think there would be more principles there. And I think tennis players ultimately would that the one that's gone, right. The one that is slipping through the hands in a similar fashion is cricket. Cricket's gone. Cricket as Uh we know it, cricket as we know it is, you know, five years away from looking radically different. Already we see it, you know, there's major league cricket forming and you see these franchises that originally were franchises exclusively in the IPL. Now those same franchises own other, you know, the, the, the sort of group owns franchises in South Africa, now in the United States. It's going to just spread and that's going to change cricket because now you're going to be a player who doesn't play for, you know, Surrey and England, and then maybe goes and plays for the Rajasthan Royals for a couple of weeks. Now you're going to be a player who plays for the global Rajasthan Royals franchise. You go and do four weeks in India, four weeks in South Africa, four weeks in the U S and you just fly from place to place playing for the same team. And at first I think everyone's going to love that because it's going to be world-class ticket cricket on your doorstep. And then I think it's going to become really boring, but crickets crickets gone because the money that it took to buy cricket is tiny because cricketers don't get paid that much and cricket doesn't make money. So, you know, the, the real target of these sports are the ones where, you know, golf was a tough one. Tennis would be a tough one. Football would be a tough one. The NBA or the NFL would be tough. Uh, Major league baseball, they could probably have tomorrow if they wanted to. I mean, how much, how, how amazing would it be if the public investment fund with all this, you know, the talk of 9-11 and Saudi Arabia and all those ties, what if they bought, you know, America's pastime and just <laughs> <laughs> the New York Yankees were, were, you know, strolling out being owned by a Saudi Arabian entity that, you know, those are the ones, any, the NHL, they could buy, chump change would buy them the NHL. You know, they would be like, oh, I found this, you know, just loose chains that I had sitting in my couch in, in Jeddah. I just used that to buy the NHL. Awesome. And now we're going to go and make them play 10 games a year in, in the Middle East. In the line, that thing that they're building out there. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which if that thing ever gets built, I might have to go and see because the, the 3D animated renderings of this thing is absolutely amazing. I mean, it looks like it's from, from 500 years in the future. <laughs> it does. Yeah. And we'll see when, when the rubber hits the road, we'll see whether yeah. it still looks because a lot of mock-ups look like they're from 500 years in the future. And then you see the reality. Yeah. It's like when the, it's like when the prototypes for the cars come out and you're like, Oh my God, that looks like a car that would never exist. And then it, it never exists. And it doesn't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it doesn't exist. This looks like it came from Blade Runner if Blade Runner hadn't been like a dystopic universe. And it well, was actually like good. <laughs> this, except this might be Blade Runner. I mean, this is the thing. Is, <laughs> you might be you you might have the nail on the head there. But yeah, I think and and just in general, it's, it's just they're breaking sports, right? And maybe this is how we can transition away from specifically golf to to like I said, you see the Benzema contract. You've got a guy who is a year removed from having won the Ballon d'Or, who was a central figure for Real Madrid, a team consistently relevant in Spain and in Europe. You know who? Okay, were outclassed in the semifinal, but still made the semifinal of the Champions League this year. And you have a player who undoubtedly they would have wanted to have stayed, opting to to take just an ungodly sum of money to go and play in Saudi Arabia, uh, a type of money that no one 
else could compete with. And there have been situations like this sort of in the past in football. Like it's we're only a few years removed from when China was supposedly going to kind of buy world football and you had the likes of Oscar and stuff going over to play there. The difference was there is players always ended up struggling to get paid and the, the teams kind of would go bankrupt and like it's just things didn't work well. But again, because this is just they get to print their own money in Saudi Arabia, everyone's going to get paid. Like, there's never going to be a moment when Ronaldo is calling them up saying, hey, guys, where's my check from the last few weeks? That's never going to happen. Benzema is going to get paid, you know, on time, every time. Probably got it paid all up front for all we know. And yeah, I just, it's sad. It's sad. So I guess the question with Benzema and Messi, and I guess Ronaldo as well, is if they were to sign for let's say a more natural club, you know, like somewhere in, in the Spanish or English leagues would, what would, what would their level have been? Would they still have been as exciting or is Saudi Arabia kind of just a better version of the MLS right now where they're picking apart talent that's on the wind down, but slightly higher than what the MLS can get, except obviously for Messi now. But um, oh, don't get me. I see. I, I do the Messi coup means that it's the reverse. That this is oh, you want to go and take the big, big check from Saudi Arabia to play in a worse version like the MLS. Much. Who do you think is going to have a better time, Ronaldo and Benzema living in Saudi Arabia or Messi living in Miami? I know which lifestyle I want. And then you look at the economics of it. He's getting a percentage. Messi's getting a percentage of shirt sales and he's getting like some equity in Inter Miami. And he might end end up making, he might end up making more money from this than he would have made going to Saudi Arabia. Like it's entirely possible. It's obviously the difference is they can't replicate that. I mean, each team could do that once basically and have the prestige signing for each MLS franchise but you can't, you know, the difference is in Saudi Arabia, they could be like, oh, we paid Benzema X amount. Well, we'll, we'll play, we'll pay X plus plus two to sign Holland next season. We'll, you know, we'll do, we'll do it all. And we don't mind. And whereas the MLS, there is a, there is a limitation there in terms of how many super lucrative offers they can put forward. But yeah, I, I mean, I have, I don't have a lot of respect for either Messi or Ronaldo for choosing to go to relatively uncompetitive situations, but I have much more respect for Messi that at least the MLS is a respectable league and, and does have good players within it. But whereas Saudi Arabia, it's just a joke at the moment. I mean, that's just, that's going to Saudi Arabia to me is no different than if somehow Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney had managed to, Offer Benzema five hundred million, and he'd, he'd gone. He'd gone there. He would have. He would have been. It's a, just as significant a drop in level. So, you know, I, I can get the messy move. I think it's a shame. It's a shame that you know, basically, he he threw his toys out of the pram at PSG, and that's why he couldn't stay there, even though it looked as if he was going to. He wouldn't go. You know, because he cares about making a lot of money, he wouldn't go back to Barcelona. He came up with a crap excuse of the reason why he wouldn't go back was because he. Uh, you know, didn't 
want with Barcelona having to cut costs and so either are letting go of some employees, selling players, or reducing salaries. He didn't want to come back to Barcelona in a climate in which other other people were losing out. Which, if I thought Messi was in any way, shape, or form a figure of moral integrity, that actually seems like a pretty good reason. But for a guy who's had multiple tax scandals, who just it's clearly the, maybe not the most upstanding citizen, I, I'm not going to buy the fact that he just cared too much about all of the employees of Barcelona to possibly go in there when they might be getting pay cuts. So, you know, and it's good for the MLS. I think people are over talking the significance or what the impact this could have on the MLS. Like we've been down this path before Pele played for the MLS, George Best played for the MLS or, or previous iterations. Not MLS. Of, yeah. The, we, we know David Beckham went to the MLS, you know, like Gareth Bale went to the MLS. Yeah. They can, we know superstars will choose to live an amazing life in the U S and make tons of money. And it's great for their families. I just don't, it doesn't mean Erling Holland is when he's considering leaving city in next season or a couple seasons thinking, what about the LA galaxy? Yeah. Like that's I mean, and, and that's the issue. I, I think I, I do think it's a, obviously a great move for MLS. And it's a fantastic win, but you can't run. You can run a team and probably make a team profitable with one exceptionally great player, but you can't make an entire league successful and, and increase the reputation by bringing in just one player on one team. Like it has to be more than just messy and it doesn't have to be, I'm going to use what you love, a bunch of Messi's or Ronaldo's like, but you have to have some, some depth in, in the, in the talent pool in the MLS. And I'm not trying to bash the MLS and say they don't have talent. They do. Okay. But nowhere near the level, you know, like if, if you took, I don't know, what's, let's say a team that's getting relegated this year in the Premier League and put them in the MLS, they would probably not lose a match. Well, they would, but they, they definitely, you would expect them to win the title for sure. Obviously, the playoff aspect of it makes it slightly unpredictable that in a one-off Imagine game if or... Inter-Miami played at Luton. Could you imagine <laughs> where they had to, the away fans would have to walk through? <laughs> what, what would Messi have to walk through? But yeah, I mean, look, and the fact that he's gone to Inter-Miami, right, is they're one of the worst teams in the MLS They've just had to fire their manager. I mean, how pissed is Phil Neville? He was he was he was weeks away from managing Lionel Messi, which arguably would have been pretty much the greatest achievement of his career, certainly of his coaching career, but even potentially factoring in his playing career as well. And then now he's just out of a job and will probably struggle to get a job anywhere else. But yeah, it's it's good. I mean, like if I were in if I lived in Miami, I would I probably would not have been going to Inter Miami games previously. I would now be considering turning up for one, which good is luck why going ticket, now. Yeah, tickets of <laughs> tickets are going for six times what they were. And people love to do this too, you know, they love to quote the figures like Inter Miami had 1 million Instagram followers, then Messi signed, they got 5 million Instagram followers. What a development. Sometimes I think we get lost in this like just endless 
meaningless like masturbation over sort of social media figures. No, but genuinely like it's, there's that moment of like, what does that mean? What does it mean for inter Miami to have 5 million Instagram followers? Yeah. Like, okay. For the next week or two, people are going to be super engaged because it's something they remember. And then eight, eight months from now, it's just going to be like one of those accounts you're following where you never even bother to get like far enough down to see the story yeah. and where you've muted stuff from them, but you're like still technically following it. But anyway, when you and said, getting, sure when you said getting lost in endless masturbation, I thought you were talking about one of a friend's. <laughs> he never gets lost laser focus, but yeah, but it will be, look, it's going to mean for at least the next 12 months, people are going to have to talk about the MLS a, a tiny bit, which, you know, wasn't the case, but it also then depends how much does he play? You know, is this going to be like a Gareth Bale situation? Is this just him wanting basically to move to the U S and this is just a method of no, getting I there. Think, I think he'll play. And the contract I think supposedly play. is, I think, two and a half years, which I don't know how that works. Yeah, but. He's, not, he's not playing that long. I, I think he'll play. But, you know, but is it, well, Messi plays one game, one game out of four or 50% or, you know, oh, it turns out Messi doesn't want to go on the long road trips. You know, like, so he plays home <laughs> games and he plays. Now, like, Miami's Easter. a hub. They can fly anywhere. <laughs> Direct. Well, well, yeah. Well, I think they're probably chartering their plane anyway. Well, but <laughs> maybe now not they before. definitely are. Now they are. But, but you know, I, I just think that will be the interesting thing to see. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's, and look, he's old. This is the problem: is we've got players who are now are going to keep playing much longer than they would have done previously, and then in the world in a sport like football. This is going to mean that we see them. He's old. More he's and, younger than I am. <laughs> right. But by professional <laughs> athlete standards, he's, you know, he's, he's 35. So what? 36 this season, this year. He's about to turn 36. He's, he's my age. He's four days. He's four days younger than me. And I'd say we've achieved just about as much, as much as each other. You know, I'm probably four days ahead of him realistically in terms of achievements, but the, he, you know, we're going to see more and more players where it's possible for them to be maintaining an okay level at in their late thirties. And so it then becomes realistic for them. You know, previously Messi would have just retired at Barcelona at 32 and that would have been normal. And now he's going to retire at inter Miami at 38 and that's normal. And Ronaldo's going to retire in Saudi Arabia at 55 or however long he keeps playing for. So it's a little bit of a shame to see these superstars spread out all over the world. And we're going to get some really awful friendlies now. I mean, just imagine already you had that PSG friendly in Saudi Arabia to play against Ronaldo, the like Messi versus Ronaldo for the last time. We're definitely going to get into Miami flying to Saudi Arabia. So it's all, oh, it's Messi versus Ronaldo again in a match. No one gives a shit about. I mean, this is, this is happening for sure. So would you like to stay on European football and wrap up? Or do you want to bounce around and come back to, you know, the FA Cup, uh, which was City's second notch for their treble? And then the, yeah, we the could last do part FA of the Cup. treble coming up. Yeah, and then the Champions League final tomorrow. Yeah, FA Cup. I mean, 
I don't think there's too much to say about it. City scored in 15 seconds or whatever it was. And at that moment, you thought it was probably going to be a procession. And I think actually Manchester United deserve some credit for not yeah. folding and and playing a you know the, it was a pretty pretty evenly matched game in the end. I know Ten Hag afterwards claimed that Manchester United were the only team in the world who could fight back against Manchester City at the moment. Hmm. That might be a little bit that. extreme. But, <laughs> but it, it but at the same time I then start to think of a list. They have brushed aside Real Madrid and you know they brushed aside Arsenal, they brushed aside Real Madrid, they brushed aside Liverpool, they brushed aside Bayern Munich. You know you can kind of run through the and go well who in recent weeks, they've played a pretty strong set of teams and no one else has managed to. So there's some credence to what he's saying. but And then the the only real talking point, right, is... Well, I guess there's two. De Gea's somewhat poor goalkeeping for the second Gundogan mm-hmm. goal where he didn't get down particularly quickly. But I do think it's tough. Like, you're having to move. It's coming through a crowd of bodies. Someone's shooting when you maybe don't expect them to. And then the penalty decision uh, on uh, Grealish for Manchester United's penalty. Yeah. That was the the equalizer. Yeah. What was really and- interesting is is post uh, post match they interviewed Grealish and he was even after winning was still very upset that he had that penalty called on him. Like he he was not happy about it. Which you can get right because he'll probably play in other FA Cup finals, but he might not. And then that's that's the like Jack Grealish moment in the FA Cup final. Maybe is you know, and and also if you're him, again he's been a really key component of Manchester City's team over like since the World Cup, and hopefully he gets to cap that off with maybe a, a significant moment or a very good performance in the Champions League final. But he doesn't have the signature moment as of yet. Like his City career. He's been playing well, but there's not like, oh, that Jack Grealish goal. Oh, Eddie, you are setting me up for a city to win and Grealish to score. Go for for it. But he hasn't, he doesn't have that, you know? And most of the other players, even though we've spoken about in the past, how this city team, even though it's packed full of stars, there isn't always a sort of singular figure at the forefront. Most of them do have that big moment, you know, like Kevin De Bruyne can point to some huge goals and huge performances, key assists, even Gundogan, right? Who's an often overlooked player within this team. Now he gets the, he's got this double in the FA cup final with two volleys from outside the penalty area that gets to be like the Gundogan game. And there's no Grealish game at the moment for city. There's not even a, and there's no Grealish game so far either from England for England, even though he's had good performances for England in major tournaments. Well, thank you for that win. It's come Saturday. Well, hopefully it does. So I guess so we can go there. I, I don't see any way in which, and I always, but I don't see how Inter Milan can live with Manchester City. Kind of following on from what Ten Hag said, I just think they're a class above absolutely everyone right now and so full of confidence. And Inter Milan have been better in recent weeks. They had that mid-season dip in form. And they they are better. And Italian sides are tough because they they'll sit deep and they won't care about not having possession. And they'll just try and make, turn it into an ugly game. And they're going to waste time at every opportunity. And they'll try and keep it nil nil. And if they somehow snatch a lead, then they'll be you know this will be the ugliest game of football you'll watch. But I just think 
I, I don't see how City don't score yeah. at least two goals, and I can't see Inter Milan scoring two. Yeah, and and actually, depressingly, City to win and Grealish to score is seven to two. So <laughs> it's not even that great of a bet. <laughs> but you got to do first goal score. I don't think he'll be first. Oh, I do. I'm calling it now. Okay, you want first goal score? Okay. okay. I think I think my full prediction. I think Jack Grealish will score twice. He'll score first. And City minus two point five. Put that all together, and that's that's going to give you a nice payday. Wait, Jack Grealish two or more? Two or more, yeah. And first, and first. Okay, so that is forty to one. No, oh, put it. In. <laughs> you'll be you'll be buying the PGA Tour on Monday. Final note, I guess, on European football. Talking about sort of aging superstars, I guess it's worth mentioning that Zlatan Ibrahimovic called an end to his career with a very emotional uh, post-match statement in AC Milan's final league game of the season. Very typical Zlatan, you know, he, but he was, emo- I, he cried. He showed that he isn't just a robot. So he did have that part of it, but he did have that good way of shutting up the supporters of, he was being booed by the opposition supporters and told them that the best thing that they'd had all season was getting to see him. So that was a very Zlatan, comment but it's i'm slightly surprised because he came out of retirement for sweden in the euro qualifiers which in my mind thought that i expected him to at least see through the qualifiers and see if he could get one final major tournament which would obviously have been next summer and yet he called it quits this year which i can only presume that he's just his body is in spite of the fact that he's obviously still in incredible shape his body is starting to fall apart and sort of maintaining it is too much work. Hey, but hey, he had a character based off of Monted Lasso. Yeah, exactly. Who sent a giant avocado. <laughs> <laughs> we, we never mentioned that in the, in the rundown of the episode. But yeah, that's, I guess that pretty much wraps up. Obviously got the transfer window going to, uh, uh, or a few other things. So just do a quick roundup. Okay. Um, so what do we do? Oh, a stat that I enjoyed. Real Madrid. Aiden uh, Hazard uh, it kind of left his contract with Real Madrid He under mutual agreement. Real Madrid uh, paid Eden Hazard over £100 million in wages in the time that he was at, at the Bernabeu, which meant that he was paid roughly £28,000 a minute he played for Real Madrid <laughs> and their return on that was seven goals one of which was a penalty and <laughs> and six six assists so 13 goals let's say from wow. tw- 28 from 100 million pounds not quite not bad so when people give Jack Grealish a hard time they should maybe look at Hazard first yeah absolutely and then I guess also West Ham won a major tournament midweek Although I think people are going overboard with how major they're calling this tournament, the UEFA <laughs> Conference League. There was you would have thought they won the World Cup from the way people were speaking about it. It's still cool. If I were a West Ham supporter, I'd be happy. Yeah. It's still nice. You won something. But this is not you know, this is the ugly stepsister to the Champions League. Is it one more trophy than Spurs have? <laughs> yeah, in recent yeah, for a while, yeah. I mean, it means that, you know, Declan Rice has a better trophy cabinet than Harry Kane. That's awesome. 
I'm sure that's some heavy bragging rights on the England pitch. And and on transfer news, we'll obviously cover that more in depth over the summer, but it looks as if Jude Bellingham is headed to Real Madrid. And Yeah, I want to actually ask you if, if if you're a little sad that he's not coming to England. No, I'm fine with it. Okay. I actually think more English players need to play abroad because it just helps them to experience different styles of play and and I think the Premier League is becoming because of the influence of managers like Klopp and Guardiola, it's becoming it's well, it's become significantly more sophisticated in terms of the style and the tactics and closer to what European football is like. But still fundamentally, it's always going to be more frantic and higher paced. And that doesn't transition very well into international football where England do have to slow things down. So in a sense, having what you would hope will be the, you know, a future England captain probably and the sort of central figure in the England squad in central midfield to have him playing abroad where he gets to learn a style or continuing to play abroad where he gets to, you know, learn a style of play that is closer to what they'll need at the international level. It's, it's probably beneficial to the England team. And the only other final note, I guess on the transfers, it looks as though speaking of Declan Rice, that he may be headed to Bayern Munich, which based on what I, everything I just said, also is a probably a nice move for him, but slightly surprising. All right. So we've gone through golf, European football, Saudi Arabia taking over the world of sport. What do we have left? NHL, NBA? Yeah, we can do NHL a little bit. So... We're obviously in the Stanley Cup Finals. Game three just happened yesterday. The Panthers got one back. Now they're down 2-1 in the series. But uh, Matthew Kachuk, who had a good season this year, a a very good season, Uh, you know, obviously he's overshadowed by people like Connor McDavid, but he is just an absolute gamer. And this playoffs, he has, I want to say, now it's got to be, five game winning or game tying goals for his team. Like he is just super, super clutch. Like the, one of the most clutch players I've ever seen in a, in a playoff. And last week or two weeks ago, before they made the Stanley cup finals, they went into an overtime game while I was playing hockey and we had a break. So there was a bunch of us at the bar watching the game. And it went to overtime, and we said, let's all throw a bet on on who's going to score the game winner. And the one kid went, Kachuk, and he had just gotten the last overtime game-winning goal the game before. And we're like, ah, he just already got one. We probably missed it. Let's go with, like, so-and-so. And then, of course, Kachuk scored the overtime game winner, and we were just, like, so upset because it was the first name that got thrown out, and we should have just went with it, you know, like always go with the gut, always go with the first name. You, you, you can't when someone throws it out, I know, and you know, you know, you and I have been in that scenario, I know, many, many times. But once someone throws it out, the 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 kind of FOMO of not doing it is worse than the win or the loss. So it you is, you just have to, you just have to do it, and then you're then stuck with having to then do it every subsequent bet. Yes. So let's flash forward to last night. (laughs) Um, The Panthers are down 
and Kachuk actually puts in the game tying goal with like a minute 30 left. And obviously like it's tough to bet game tying goals, but he scores the game tying goal with a minute 30 left. They go to overtime, but 10 seconds before they go to overtime, the Panthers get a penalty. So they're now on the penalty kill and Vegas is on the power play. So Kachuk normally probably would have been the leader for overtime winning goal, probably at like four to five to one. But because they were on the PK, he was at eight to one. And I was like, I got to do it. So I, I dropped, I put 50 on it and then instantly texted the, my buddy who I was sitting at the bar with the last time we didn't bet it. And it's like, I'm in. He doesn't respond. They go to overtime, they kill the penalty, and then the Panthers score, and it's a really nice shot by Verhage, but Kachuk is in front of the net, and it looks like he tips the puck. Like, when you watch it in real time, you're like, oh, I think he tipped it. And all I kept seeing is like, oh my god, I think I just hit it. And then they show the replay like seven times. This puck must have missed touching him by like a centimeter. Like it was so close how, to getting tipped off of him. How significant does does it just have to make any form just of contact? Just has to touch him. So it brushes his jersey. It's his goal. It's his goal. It's like his the goal. Ball doesn't, the puck ball. Puck doesn't even have to really deflect. Just physical contact, he gets the credit. Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. If he, if, if the puck, if the puck shifts in basically any way from touching him, yeah. he gets the credit. So I was like, show the replay again, show it again. Like I was like screaming at the TV for more angles. And then right after that, my buddy texts me and he goes, oh shit, I just saw this. I'm probably the one who screwed us. <laughs> He's like, I would have went in. <laughs> that's a bad beat. Hopefully that's the end of your bad beats. But now of- I'm left. If if they go into overtime in the next game, I have to bet them again. You know, yeah, like... So- and that's even, that. That's that. Even FOMO. next season in the regular, even next season in the regular season, you're gonna have you're to do it every right. time. <laughs> it it won't go away until I hit it. <laughs> yeah. And then you want well, it'll never go away until he retires. Now and you're just locked in for life. Uh, we've had those kind of relationships previously with with athletes and teams. Sometimes you just yeah got to keep going there. But and I guess the NBA Finals, the Denver Nuggets, after having slipped up at home in Game Two sort of demolished the Miami Heat in game three and with Jokic just putting on, I think sometimes we kind of become numb to like his stat line from that is 32 Yeah, 32 points, 21 rebounds, 10 assists. It's just unbelievable. First player ever. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. And we don't really need to discuss the NBA in too much detail, I suppose. But what it made me think, and we can have a larger, maybe in the kind of downtime in the sports talk about this. We could have a little, a draft or a a deeper discussion, but pound for pound is Serbia, the best sporting nation on earth at the moment. You've got arguably the best player in the NBA, best basketball player on earth, arguably the best tennis player on earth. You then throw in a handful of elite football, soccer players and then they have other sports that they play that, you know, like are, they've got good volleyball players. And, you know, from an Olympic athlete standpoint, they have some relevance. But you're still talking about if you think of the world's five, six most, you know, biggest sports, they have two, the, in two of them, 
They probably have the best player in that sport right now. Yep. And it's a country of... 6.8 million. Yeah. So, you know, you could, you could make... They, brought, they might not have the depth that some other countries might be able to put on the table. But, but top from, end. If, top if you're end, saying top end. You'd have to say they're they're definitely, and we can go into it again. I think we could probably come up with some creative answers to that. There's be be some interesting candidates in the pound for pound, but Serbia Serbia has a strong case right now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, and he he is. I mean, that's another one day we, we can also have the discussion. Is how underrated in like the normal landscape is he like how many people off the streets yeah. can name him well i also think this because there's been people there have been some people who've been critical of like this is an nba finals that lacks compelling storylines and i get it because the nba obviously is an american league and this isn't me bashing america but like there are definitely more people paying attention to the nba finals in europe because the best player in the finals is european and actually, in recent seasons, I mean, that's almost becoming normal. Like you have Giannis, you know, like it's becoming something you almost expect. But you know, there are there are definitely more people paying attention to it. It's a huge storyline. It's getting coverage of. Hey, look at this! But I can get in America. It's it's not off putting, but it's not as quite as compelling because you can't relate to. Although, the thing about Jokic for me is, it's the same. Like Steph Curry was is relatable because he's not a giant and he's an athletic freak by normal person standards, but he's not an athletic freak by NBA standards and Jokic. He's definitely an athletic freak. And I think people underestimate his athletic ability because he doesn't really pass the eye test in terms of athleticism. Like he's not ripped. He doesn't look particularly quick. He looks super awkward when he runs. He almost always looks tired. Like there's, you know, you don't watch him and think, wow, this is an elite athlete on show especially when you can't appreciate his size because he's just on a court with a bunch of other tall people so you don't even really think about how big he is that to me in a sense makes him kind of relatable like you watch a lot of what he does and you feel to yourself i could make passes like that like there's nothing there's not no physical limitations stopping me from reading the game in which he does that's purely just i mean it's obviously some natural ability but it's it's just an understanding of the sport to such a high degree. And that's the thing that surprises me. Like I can't relate to Giannis, you know, like there are several, uh, you know, key components of his DNA that separate us, you know, like he, he has an athletic ability that I would just never have. I can't relate to LeBron James. Like there's nothing he can, there's no part of me that I think, yeah, that, when I play pickup basketball, I can feel like that. I could go and play pickup basketball and feel kind of like Jokic. Again, I'd be a really shitty version of it, but there would be a sense of, let me try and emulate the style in which he plays, and it would be somewhat doable. Except for the fact he's 6'11". Oh, no. <laughs> Again, as I said, because he looks sort of dumpy, people com- complete people are completely, and he's lost weight since he entered the league. But still, he doesn't look in fantastic shape. So people, I think he gets, you know, he, he, people are 
underestimating his physical abilities. Like you just, you can't play in the NBA unless you are an incredibly gifted athlete purely from a physical standpoint in terms of speed, foot movement, agility. You might look cumbersome by NBA standards, but that still means that like if he turned up to kind of do something with the average person, he'd look like a ballerina, you know, like that there would be a nimbleness in his movement that we just wouldn't be able to compete with. But yeah, I just think he, he's not a good face of the NBA in terms of the fact that he seems like a slightly <laughs> out of shape Eastern European, but he is a good shape, face of the NBA because it's like, it's as if you made a lot of people grow by a foot and then made them really good at a sport. Yeah. Do you want to take a guess at how far his standing reaches? Oh boy. So an, an, an NBA basketball hoop is 10 feet high. Okay, so so literally, how just how high his with his um, if he just puts so his arms straight up. He said he's six foot eleven, right? Yep. He's got a huge wingspan because that's part of what makes him look yep. kind of weird. Is his arms are disproportionate to his body. So I'm gonna say his standing reach is kind of comparing on myself. Like, <laughs> like for for our listeners, Eddie is now emulating that he could be him. By well, I'm trying to figure out. I'm trying to figure out. Like, so I'm six foot two, and my arms feel proportional. So I'm trying to figure. Like, I'm probably getting. I'm getting like an extra. This is amazing. I'm probably getting an extra two feet. With my stand, I'd say my standing reach is about eight foot, eight foot two. So if I bumped myself up, then by he's nine inches taller than me. So he's then that's going to put him, give him a little bit of a bump. I'm going to say 12 feet. 12 foot. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I said it and then I realized how, how high it was. I pulled a Sam, the outrageous guess. That is outrageous. I don't know if anyone in the world has a 12 foot Sam. Well, definitely. Like Bulbul uh, Bul or whatever his name is probably does. Um, no, okay. Re- 10 feet, six inches. Well, think about this. If a basketball hoop is 10 feet, do you see him just catch the ball and drop it into a hoop? <laughs> Not far off. It's nine foot six, three. Nine foot three. So he's reached six eleven. So he's okay. Yeah, I could have. I should have. St- I should have stuck more with so my about nine inches away from being able to literally just stand there and touch the rim without even the calculation. The calculation I was doing with my own arm length was actually not terrible. I should have stuck with with the uh, the the math I was working out there. But yeah, I mean, it looks as if the heat. The, so, the den- so Taco Fall, who yeah. is the the Central Florida uh, yeah. center, um, played for the Celtics hit, for a bit. Yeah, he's seven seven, and his standing reach is ten foot two. <laughs> so you predicted two feet <laughs> higher than that. Look, it wasn't my best guess, all right? You can't, you can't be, I can't nail them all. Then if, if I did, then listeners wouldn't appreciate how frequently I'm right, you know? Sometimes it's it's the exceptions that make you appreciate you could, excellence. You could stack two of me up, and I would just be taller than that. <laughs> Short King Summer. Speaking of... <laughs> Because we're going to be seeing each other soon. I am really upset 
because I did not plan accordingly and I've gotten caught up with other things going on. I was going to waste about $120 to buy the shoes that have like the the sneakers that have like the three inch heels. <laughs> the like hidden, just, li- the hidden and, lifts. And I wasn't going to use them until like the second to last day. I was just going to pull them out and see if you could notice that I was then at your eye level. <laughs> You, you still would have been below my eye level, but <laughs> the real person to have done it on would have been the first time you saw Vasilis to be wearing them and just see him because that would have made you taller than him. And that would have he because he's also he would have been confused. He would have got you would have been able to watch his mind slowly work to try and figure out like has Frank always been taller than me. And you could have definitely then convinced him that you were doing some new exercise that had like stretched your spine by three inches or something. He would have, he would have a hundred percent and we would have watched him for a year sort of, you know, hang himself upside down by his shoelaces or something in an attempt to become taller than you. Yeah, that would have been good. I was prepared to just literally waste the money just for that single joke of putting them on just a random one day. You say that, but really what you were prepared to do was to buy lifts, but have the excuse of a single joke <laughs> to justify owning the shoes so that in future you could have worn them and people been like, why'd you even buy those? You'd be like, oh, this one time it was like a practical joke, but you know, actually most comfortable shoes I've ever owned. So I don't, <laughs> I don't wear them for the lifts anymore. I wear them because they're just great. No way. I got vertigo. I don't want to be nervous putting those things on. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, I'll get them for your birthday. How about that? <laughs> Thanks. Maybe we can get them. Well, the real shame is could have got them. We could have done some content about it. And maybe we could have been sponsored by the, the shoes. But yeah. We'll be obviously seeing each other soon. Royal Ascot coming up, so we'll have to do a little bit of a. Oh man, what a what a slap in the face! They call them elevator sneakers. That's like (laughs) that's like the common term for them. (laughs) (laughs) Elevator sneakers. Damn, that's a burn. We'll 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 see each other soon. We will do the Royal Ascot preview. Yeah, get some, get some you'll, be, tips you'll be happy to know my suits were in the cleaners for 11 months. I picked them up today. <laughs> <laughs> That's impressive in a sense that they hold on to them. I'm, what's yeah. the, when do they throw them out? Did you ask them? Uh, she said I would have gotten a call at the one year mark. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it was funny because I, I just have, must have forgotten to pick them up and then, you know, just completely, you know, forgot about it. And then yesterday I started to get my stuff together and I said, oh, shit, where the hell are my suits? And I thought, like, there's no way that they've just been sitting at this cleaner for, for 11 months. And they have. And you get charged a dollar a day after the first month. You're joking. No, I'm just there. kidding. <laughs> yeah. But no, uh, and obviously, good opportunity then, if you don't follow us already, to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, because you'll get some... Royal Ascot related content and not just Royal Ascot. We're obviously, we're all also going to one of the T20 blast matches. Sorry against Middlesex, the London Derby that we'll also be attending. So you'll get some cricket related content as well. So something to, for us to look forward to on a personal level, but also the listeners to look forward to from 
some hopefully some fun topics as a result. Yeah, I mean, we'll definitely have some fun stories. I was watching. Uh, I know you don't like the the Smartless podcast, but I usually listen to it. I I like Will Arnett and Jason Bateman's okay, uh, but they have a documentary on now what is called Max, formerly HBO Max, where it's them doing their live podcast, but just basically they're just sitting up in front of a stage and interviewing someone. So like, I don't know, like it's it's very you know simple, but it's basically the the documentary is literally just following them around as these three act like idiots with each other as friends. And it always gets me thinking when I see something like that, that part of me always wishes back in the day that there were like camera crews kind of following us around. So I could have those memories because I can't remember what I've like some of the really fun things we've done because my memory is now so terrible. But I think it's probably for the best that there weren't camera crews around for some yeah. of the things. But it still is one of those things where it'd be really like I imagine fifty to seventy years from now, it'll be really easy to have like a little floating camera that kind of just follows you around your night that is kind of out of yeah. the way and you can just film everything you guys are doing, which would be pretty cool. Yeah, like a drone that just tracks you, which you can like already have. Like a little mini already. drone. Yeah, but to have one that's not a less annoying. noisy one. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And you're right. Like, look, if I could have the night at Belushi's of us playing beer pong against random backpackers and have like that as a oh. as recorded, it would be entertaining to watch. But then yeah. there's other nights that I definitely wouldn't want. On. Yeah, but even even just like the the not, like the days at Royal Ascot where we're just hanging out. Because for me, yeah. one one of my favorite ones was about the 30 minutes straight we were in those apartments. That were like the kind they were they look sketchy from the outside, but from the inside, it was a nice apartment. It had like a big kitchen. And for 30 minutes straight, we just roasted Vasilis because he refused to come out and eat because he was so sick. Like yeah, those are the things that would be really fun to have on camera. Just us just like tearing into him. <laughs> well, because and I think this is ultimately right for most people within within a good group of friends where you do have some funny things. If you film it 24-7 and then you edit it well, there's going to be enough enjoyable content to like make it entertaining. Yeah. You know, you'll be like, okay, yeah, we spent, we followed you around for a week. And from that, we got 45 minutes yeah. of makes you guys look great. You all look really funny and quick and, you know, like super witty. And it looks like you're just nonstop laughs. Yeah. They will we'll cut out the... 90 minutes of you all sitting in silence when you didn't know what to say to each other or you when know, you're on your various, phones for 20 yeah, minutes. The various, yeah. The various other things that have happened. But as far as the outside world is concerned, this will make you all look fantastic. Yeah. And, and for me, you know, good banter doesn't need to be famous people. Like I can enjoy and think it's funny when a random video on my Facebook pops up, you know, like four guys on a podcast, that I've never heard of any of them kind of just ripping into each other about certain things. You know, it's like, like good banter like that's just funny no matter who it is. Well, I was going to say, you know, we don't have Ted Lasso to talk about. You refuse to talk about succession. We might have something coming up that we can discuss is a show that I think both of us have enjoyed over the years. That's coming back for its sixth season. And that is black mirror. 
I'm, I might be out on Black Mirror. No, I, I'm, I'm, I, I know the last. So last season was okay. It was the season before that was really bad. And then they kind of redeemed a little bit last season. But from what I've heard, this season is much more like the first few seasons than the last few. I have I'll high see. hopes. To me, the things I'm looking forward to, Always Sunny is back. So having... Oh, now you're an Always re- Sunny guy. Fuck I'm off. an Always Sunny guy. Fuck always off. have been since day one. <laughs> don't, don't, never been there. I've been there with the gang since it started. But guy no, buys having... one fucking English football team and now you're an Always Sunny fan. <laughs> let, me get, let me guess. You watch Deadpool in between? No, I hate, I hate Ryan Reynolds. I'm purely Rob McElroy. Yeah, I bet. But the other thing that I am really looking forward to is Masters of the Air, which is part of the Band yes. of Brothers universe. It's the the next installment following on from the Band of Brothers in the Pacific. So that I am. I will be watching that and I will be happy to talk about Masters of the Air because that will be one that I will get into on a, on a deep level. Okay. We, we can definitely do that. I, I'm not a huge like war person when it comes to shows. Like I, I, like I've seen Band of Brothers like episodes, but I've never seen the whole series in completion. It's just like, you know, whenever I watch Saving Private Ryan, I just get really depressed for a really long time. So I don't enjoy that kind of stuff. <laughs> well, this is probably going to be depressing. So this maybe it's not the show for you. SAS Rogue Heroes, though. That was a good show. And that was about war. It was okay, yeah. I didn't actually finish SAS Rogue Heroes. I think I got like, there's like 20 minutes left. It's one of those things whenever I sign on to BBC iPlayer, I see it. And there's like 20 <laughs> minutes left in the final episode that for whatever reason, I stopped mid-episode. And then I'm not interested enough to go back and watch the final 20 minutes, which I think is the sort of most honest review of a TV show you can ever give it. Of I have nothing to watch, but I won't bother yeah. finishing that. Yeah, it's a little bit of a lull right now for TV shows, but it's going to pick back up in June and July. So like right now I've got I'm watching Silo on Apple TV. Not mm. bad. It's watchable. It's enjoyable. A little it's got some of those things with the plot where you really question, you know, like, why didn't you just do this instead? It's, you know, it's got some of those major plot holes, but it, it's it's pretty good. I, I I've liked it so far. I'll continue to watch it because once I start watching a show, I have to watch it through anyway. So um, and then the bear comes back out for season two. I don't know if you ever watched the season one of the bear. That was like a like a cult hit right off the, yeah, right no. off the bat. I'm a big Maddie Matheson fan. So I think he was involved in the bear. It's the cooking. It's the yeah. owns a restaurant or whatever. Yeah. He's a chef, right? Yeah. But no, I've never. And with the guy from uh, whatever that show was that they remade in the u.s from england but yeah no i've never never watched it yeah it's a good show i need to, and it's because it's a down it's like it's a, a down minute it's a down summer right we've got no no world cup no euros no olympics and then next year we get hit full in the face we've got the rugby world cup in september we've got the olympics <laughs> next summer we've got the euros next summer like we're gonna go from you know when it from absolutely from a drought to a tropical rainstorm. Yeah. I, I'll tell you what though, I am a little upset that the schedules don't quite align because I would have loved to go see Oppenheimer in an IMAX theater with you and then we could have instant reaction oh, on a podcast after in person. 
<laughs> when does Oppen- when when does Oppenheimer come out? Uh, July, like end of July. Yeah. Oh well. And I don't know if you saw Tom Cruise has been trying to get that release date pushed because his Mission Impossible is coming out as well. Okay. Well, I won't see Mission Impossible. What? Until it, I'll eventually see Mission Impossible on a plane. That's and we've spoken that is Mission Impossible is firmly plane movie category. See, now what's funny, Eddie, is I have one movie on my list right now to watch on the plane that I realize I haven't seen. Is the last Mission James Impossible? Bond. <laughs> OK, another good another good uh, plane movie. Yeah, that's about that's about all I've got. I guess, uh, you know, as we close up, we could say R.I.P. to Josh Allen who is on the Madden uh-huh. cover. So his career is pretty much done. Except Which I Mahomes, have to say. Mahomes has been on the Madden cover. He won the Super Bowl. Yeah, but Mahomes, he, he, he's transcendent. He goes I feel past like the Madden, Madden cover curse. I feel like the Madden curse. I think ultimately fewer and fewer people are playing Madden. So the Madden Ooh. curse is diminished. Okay. Like EA Sports no longer What if Madden. I get started to play Madden again? Then it's just the Duke of Curse reimagined. <laughs> It's be separate from Matt, from Madden itself. I think I think the bigger story there though is does Josh Allen deserve to be on the cover of Madden? What has he done? Who else would you have? Mahomes. You can't have you have to have some variety, right? So Mahomes can come up again in five, six, seven years, but you can't be a you can't be it can't be just like Mahomes. He's not he's not gonna it's not gonna rename the game. So he. Has he done, has he accomplished enough? Never won MVP. He's won what one playoff game? We would have to have a whole topic where we go back through Madden covers and look at players who have been put this on the on the to do list for the summer. We will go through Madden covers and think of NFL players who have been overlooked on. Because, for example, I don't think Aaron Rodgers has ever been on a Madden cover. He has not. So you'd say there's a player based on his significance, fame, everything. Super Bowl winner, multiple MVP winner. You would say that's surprising. Now, maybe he's turned it down because there's obviously the other element. You have to agree to be on the cover. So there's a possibility that it doesn't interest him or he buys into the curse, which is believable because he was smearing his own shit on walls to decide whether or not he was going (laughs) to retire. So he 100% believes in the Mannern curse. but. I mean, looking can, back, just just quickly looking back, there's two that stand out that were bad decisions. Well, there's the Cleveland Browns running back, right? From yes, that's number um, one. That's Peyton Peyton Hillis. Yeah, that in was a bad 2011. One. Yeah. And then Antonio Brown in 2019. That has aged poorly. <laughs> it's aged poorly, but it, you can. It's justified in terms of how many times is Tom Brady on the Madden cover? Tom Brady has. Tom Brady has been on it twice, once alone and once with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. And the same yeah, I mean, for Mahomes. He's been on it twice, once alone, once with Brady. Also. Right. So you can't have Mahomes for a while. If if Brady only got two, Mahomes has to have at least like a seven-year period now until you can put Mahomes back on. Because otherwise we're going to end with while Mahomes was on the cover of Madden seven times. I guess. And I guess you, you can't put Rodgers on it this year because he's stumped. No. What about Kelsey? You could have put Kelsey on it. You could have put Kelsey on it. You could have put 
What about like a Nick Bosa or like a Micah Parsons? Yeah, you could have taken the risk and you could have gone like young quarterback route. So you could have done like Trevor Burrow. Lawrence. Or Joe Burrow. Yeah. He's not been on one already? Burrow? Hasn't yeah. been a league two years. Yeah, but I <laughs> I, I can't I, I haven't I haven't had Madden in a couple of years now, so I'm trying to think who was on I can't tell you who was on Madden on the cover of Madden. So last. going starting starting most recently, it's Josh Allen, John Madden, oh, and then Mahomes died. and Brady, Lamar Jackson, Mahomes, Antonio Brown, Brady. Yeah, I mean they're yeah. I think Burrow, Parsons, even Aaron Donald. Parsons is a stretch. I don't think the average NFL fan knows. Jalen Hurts? Jalen Hurts, sure. I think defensive players, you're taking a risk. I just think most people don't know who they are. Trent Williams? (laughs) (laughs) Show some offensive tackle love? Yeah. Career mode where you can only play as a center. (laughs) It's just a long snapper. That's all you can do. But you have to be excellent. Yeah, I. Yeah, I would have probably rather gambled on. Yeah, I mean, Joe Burrow's not a gamble. Trevor Lawrence would have been a little bit of one. Like he would have been like, can't the Jags take a, take a massive step forward this season? And then it seems like we were really smart. We were slightly ahead of the curve, as ahead of the curve as you can be on a number one, highly draft, touted <laughs> draft pick who also made it to the playoffs last season. But still, yeah. yeah. All right, with that, should we wrap up season five? This is the final episode. Oh, shit. Next episode will be season six. And we'll be recording from the same time zone. Yeah. Season six will be exclusively in person. (laughs) Well, the first one won't, but (laughs) good try. (laughs) It'll be closer. We'll be closer, but still not in person. If you you shout loud enough, I I might be able to hear you. Maybe. All right. Well, I'll talk to you later. See ya. See ya.